The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And that's right, AmericasWebRadio.com. And it's time now for Remembering Desert Storm, Desert Shield, and Desert Storm with our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And as always, we start out our shows with a moment of silence, thinking about those that have served, the veterans that have served us so well, and those that are on active duty, as well as we also always want to include our EMTs, our first responders, be they fire, police, emergency, uh, medical, whatever it happens to be. So we're going to take just a moment of silence and remember them, and we'll be back right after this. Thank you and amen. And uh, we appreciate you taking out that time to uh, <clears throat> remember all of our veterans and uh, those that have served, those that have given the ultimate. By the way, tomorrow, tomorrow is Flag Day. So remember to put your flag out and uh, celebrate Flag Day. And as you're doing it, anybody that has served will appreciate the following. I got to admit, I love those cadence calls. Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg, our host, is on the line with us. Philip, how are you doing today? I'm well, David. How are you today? I'm doing just great. Had to uh, go do a little banking and uh, got that cleared up, so I'm... I'm back to a happy camper, and uh, everything's going well. And uh, like I said, I want to remind everybody that tomorrow is Flag Day, and that means putting out the stars and stripes. And uh, David, can I add one thing? Yes, sir. Well, um, it is Flag Day tomorrow, but it's another day tomorrow uh, that's uh, near and dear to my heart. And that's the day that in 1775, the Continental Congress authorized the Continental Army. Tomorrow is the birthday of the United States Army. So uh, I 
suggest that folks also remember that as well. Fairly significant. Absolutely. And uh, I, for some reason, I was not aware of that. I know about Flag Day, but uh, I did not know about the uh, that it's really Army Day as well. It's the Army's birthday, 247 years, the senior service. Wow. But I know, David, that you uh, you served in the uh, Army National Guard over in Texas, I believe. Is that correct? And in the uh, Army Reserve here in Georgia. So both of them. Yes, sir. So uh, I would just tell you that the, the Army National Guard celebrates its birthday in 1639. Uh, the first uh, first muster of the Massachusetts Bay Colony Militia. So really the senior service is not the Army. The senior service is the Army National Guard. <laughs> well, we have to have something on somebody. Right. But, yeah. No, very good. They're very, very good. You In know, fact, I spent, uh, spent a bunch of time today working uh, a claim with a veteran who uh, served, uh, was mobilized from the Guard and went served in Afghanistan, is uh, needing a bunch of help uh, from the VA. You know, the bottom line is, and I've been very blessed by friends like you and uh, Rick White and um, and many others, because I, uh, I like many that served in the Guard and Reserve during Vietnam have felt that we uh, cheated the system. And uh, you all have made it quite clear that we did our duty just like everybody else did. Ours was just a little bit different. Um, but, you know, it's... We have, without question, whether it's Army, Navy, Coast Guard, Marines, Air Force... We have the best military in the world, and, you know, without question, they will come forward to serve our country and go in harm's way for all of us, and no matter what the date was, we have proven to be the best of the best, and I think there's a, a pride throughout the nation of folks that have served and those that are coming up that will serve. And uh, I think uh, today you wanted to talk about, and this is part of serving, and that's a word called deployment. And when you get orders to go, you've got orders to go. You're not going to talk anybody out of it. You're going to go. And uh, there's a... And you can be in the middle of eating a steak dinner, and if you're ordered to go, basically they'll take the plate out from under you almost. But we've gone through it with our family recently within the last few months, and uh, it kills me to think about the fact that my son has had to watch, and, and this is even incredible because of the electronics that we have day, today, but... He's had to watch his son go from a month old to almost a year old now uh, over video. And uh, yet 
you know, I, I, I feel bad about that because he hadn't gotten to feel and touch and play and all this. But at least he's gotten to watch, and that was better than my father and your father when it was lucky to get a letter back and forth in two or three weeks. So let's let's go through getting that letter or that order for deployment and then the family preparing. And I guess it, a true statement would be no matter how much you prepare – there's still going to be things, there's still going to be loose ends, and the spouse that's left behind is going to have to take care of those loose ends. Well, it's true, David. And, you know, uh, I think, I, I can't exactly remember how it was that I was first notified that uh, we got our deployment order, but uh, whether I was in a formation or was just sitting in my office uh, or uh, if I was in a staff meeting uh, with the colonel but um, <clears throat> I know that life changed abruptly at that point uh, and uh, in the case of Desert Storm uh, Desert Shield I guess it was at the time we we, uh, we had a great deal to do I mean I, you know, I wasn't being mobilized out of the National Guard or the reserves. I was, I was being, you know, uh, deployed uh, out of the regular army. And uh, but still, we were going to a place where the U.S. military presence was almost non-existent, except for a few advisors uh, that we had as liaisons to the Saudi forces. And uh, we were going to a place where. Well, I mean, it's a desert, and uh, infrastructure is not their strong suit. So um, we had to bring everything we needed to live and to support living there and also to do our mission. So uh, one of the big things was preparing our equipment to go, uh, tents, everything from tents to our mission equipment to, you know, cots and uh, uh, every... Uh, every sort of thing is self you know being a an airplane company we were sort of um you know we didn't have a lot of uh weapons that were used you know to engage the enemy they were more uh, to uh to defend our perimeter and such uh but uh you know then of course all our vehicles were painted a nice woodland camouflage or od green for, for the <laughs> the big war across <clears throat> Europe and uh, suddenly uh, this sort of light tan sand color uh, was all the rage and so every piece of equipment we had needed to be painted in, in that pattern uh, we didn't just drive them down to Amco and hand them the keys <laughs> we had to paint them ourselves uh, including stenciling the identifying numbers on the bumpers etc um, and then uh, could, and of course you can't just use a regular you know Sherwin-Williams paint you had to use uh, this what they call CARC which is chemical agent resistant coating uh, paint uh, and I'm sure it's a million dollars a gallon or whatever but so all our vehicles had to be painted in that and then uh, and then of course the people right so the people had had to have their 
medical records reviewed and physicals done and immunizations up to date plus whatever new immunizations they felt were necessary for the theater we were going to and also dentistry we had to make sure that our teeth were uh, adequate for deployment uh, and of course you couldn't just say well I won't be gone because I got a toothache because so yank the tooth right out of your head send you along um, <laughs> by, course, by the way uh, uh, Phil yeah. I talked to my son yesterday who was in um, Iraq and uh, he said he was a little upset with you and I said, what, what could you be upset with Lieutenant Colonel Forsberg for? And he said, well, he left all the heat behind. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a mere 111 where he was yesterday. Yeah. Well, it's not summer yet. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, it sure passes for summer. <laughs> yeah. It's... Uh... Yeah, uh, I did. Uh, I only left it there because I found it there when I got there. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't uh, want to take anything home with you, huh? And I'm sure the people in the U.S. didn't want me bringing it back with me. Texas was hot enough. But uh, we, uh, uh, yeah, and then, you know, after, after the physical and the teeth, you had to look at, uh, okay, well, are you legally prepared? Is your, is your will in order? Uh, is, do you have power of attorney for your spouse uh, to conduct whatever uh, uh, business you might need to conduct on your behalf? Um, and, uh, you know, you don't think about things like, well, you know, my wife's name is not on the car registration, and when it runs out of, uh, you know, when the registration is expired, she's got to renew it. But you got to have my power of attorney to do it, and uh, well, you know, a million different things. Or you know, I mean, my wife at the time we went to Desert Storm, she was living in uh, we we were living in uh, uh, military housing on Fort Hood. Uh, but you know, some spouses might say, "Well, listen, uh, you know, you're going to Saudi Arabia. I'm not staying here in Killeen, Texas, where I don't know anybody. I'm going back to." Uh, you know, Pennsylvania, uh, back to my mom and dad's house or something. So, you, you know, you might have to break a lease. Uh, there's all sorts of things that had to be done. And of course, the very, the very first thing, uh, when you get your deployment order and you're, you're notified you're going and your, your mind fills up with a hundred million questions and, uh, and then you go home and you tell your wife you're deploying and, She's got even more questions that you didn't even think of. And uh, so, uh, but you know, military spouses, they're, they're pretty good. They, uh, they, they're, uh, in my experience, uh, they all, you know, uh, get together and, and help out each other. It, it was really, really good. But, you know, and, and I was sure there was plenty of time to think of questions when your husband's working 12 hours a day or more, maybe sometimes 15, 16 hours in a day to, uh, to prepare the unit for, uh, deployment. And then of course you had to, uh, all of our equipment had to get to Saudi Arabia somehow. So 
we had to uh, load on rail cars uh, all our equipment, and it had to be packaged in such a way for shipping, and it had to be uh, marked in such a way that we could find it when we got there. And then uh, we had to, uh, you know, some of our things were uh, not rail-loaded, but they were convoyed. Our vehicles were convoyed uh, down to the port of Houston uh, and, uh, and put on ships there. Uh, and it was a lot of work. And once everything was packed up and gone, the soldiers were all ready, um, off we go. And uh, we, from the time... I think we got our deployment order on maybe the 9th or 10th of August, and uh, we were gone uh, on the 23rd of September. So probably a month and a half, and I would say every day for that month and a half, we worked at least 12 hours a day, uh, no, no days off, and uh, we finally got everything together, and then we were gone. Phil, knowing, Desert Storm. Go ahead. knowing the uh, military a little bit, like I do, um, there there had to be a reg on putting it all together. So you had to pull some kind of book down that said, okay, you will mark this this way, you'll mark that that way, and here's the regs for, for uh, driving on a ship. Here are the regs for... De- pulling the vehicles off the ship and um, there have to be a, a thousand and one or probably a million and one different regulations for a deployment like that. The plane has to be emptied of gas. The vehicles have to be emptied of gas or this or that or whatever. So not only getting ready, you had a lot to face when you got to where you were going, didn't you? Yeah. Now I didn't do any of the, the convoy to the to the port. Uh, I was back doing other things. Um, the uh, but uh, I will tell you that the, our soldiers that were uh, driver and assistant driver in those vehicles going to port, um, they said that the people in Texas all all the way from Colleen to Houston uh, were showing extreme support. Uh, and uh, there were flags on overpasses and pretty girls blowing kisses at them as they drove past and, uh, you know, veterans cheering and waving. Um, it, it was pretty encouraging. Um, but uh, and then as far as getting the vehicles on the ship, I don't think uh, any of them, <clears throat> uh, I don't think our people put them on the ship. They just put them in a marshalling area for them to be loaded on the ship. Uh, I don't know if they were driven on or hoisted on with a crane or uh, I can't imagine. You know, there's a million different things you never think about until you actually have to do it. Well, I'm I'm sure the Army has a reg for it one way or the other. Well, it's not the first time they've done it. (laughs) No. uh, Like I've said in the past, though, you know, one of my big... uh, really, really uh, <clears throat> important things that I learned out of the whole experience was just how important and how valuable uh, Army planners are, you know, and, you know, I'm sure in the other services as well, you know, they've, they've done their job many, many times in the past as well, and they to 
really have, uh, they got it down to a science, and it was a marvel to to watch and be a part of. I'm sure. And I guess it works on both ends, not only on getting to your leave station, but also when you arrive, you got to get unloaded. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, the, the ship was, uh, you know, the, the ships, I think we had two, maybe three ships of our equipment, and uh, and they were unloaded, you know, uh, at the port of Damam uh, in Saudi Arabia when we got there. Uh, the uh, We did have to provide uh, one soldier for each ship uh, to be like our... Uh, escort or custodian or uh, um, courier, if you will, for our equipment. Um, and, you know, the, the United States lacked the uh, the flagged cargo ships to, to do the, the operation. It was a huge operation. Uh, I think the, the, the cargo ships that did our cargo to uh, Saudi Arabia were actually uh, Greek. Uh, Greek flag uh, cargo ships. Hmm. That's interesting. I tell you, we're sort of at a break anyway. Let's go ahead and take our first break, and uh, we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg right after this. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And you're listening to Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And uh, we've got our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg on, and he's just gotten his deployment notice. He's gotten his troops basically loaded, and they're headed for Saudi Arabia, and when was the first time you got to be back in contact with your wife, Phil? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, there was, uh, you have to picture a day when, you know, the Internet was nothing but a gleam in Al Gore's eye. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the <clears throat> uh, so... You know, we had telephone conversation, uh, which was, uh, uh, you know, of course, restricted. We had, uh, I brought about 250 men. Uh, each one had a wife or 
parents or sweetheart they'd like to talk to. Uh, and uh, so there really wasn't time or uh, ability to do that sort of thing. Um, we did have morale calls. I can't exactly remember when the first one was, probably a week or so. Uh, but the um, but there was a, a telephone set up back to the uh, to our brigade back at Fort Hood, and uh, so we had uh, a communication to our brigade, and and they in turn would uh, use a, the uh, the spousal uh, uh, communications chain, telephone chain, we called it so that uh, the, the uh, battalion commander's wife would call the, um, the uh, you know, the various company commanders' wives, and they would call the, you know, various platoon leaders' wives. And there was, everybody was covered uh, down the chain, so nobody had to call maybe more than maybe five people, you know, to spread the information. And, of course, you can imagine how difficult that is because <laughs> if you've ever played, uh, you know, that game telephone or telegraph or post office, whatever it is, where you yeah. the, the message, it, it gets slightly altered with each uh, with each transmission. And uh, so there, uh, I can recall we didn't know if we were going to be engaged in combat or exactly uh, – what was going to happen or what was our mission there other than defend in place um, the uh, and so you know the question was well you know what how long are we here right and what are we going to are we going to shoot anybody or are we just going to make mean faces at them and uh, <laughs> so uh, I remember that a a rumor got out somehow down to the wives that we were only going to be there for six months. And that was quickly got squashed and uh, <laughs> nobody said that. Uh, and uh, and then there was, uh, you know, a question, well, you know, is this going to be a rotation like Vietnam? We're going to do a year and then get relieved. You know, what, what exactly is going to happen? Uh, so, uh, you know, and of course nobody wanted to say, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, throw Saddam out of Kuwait or, uh, I don't know. Nobody wanted to say because of <laughs> course the president, uh, Bush 41 and the secretary of state, uh, James Baker, you know, they wanted to have complete uh, flexibility to do whatever whatever was expedient uh, to accomplishing our national objectives at that point. So uh, I just then, can't believe uh, that you you had a rumor factory within your within the operation at all. I, I've never heard yeah. of the of rumors spreading in the military more than yeah. instantly. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely uh, an issue if somebody put out something that wasn't quite quite true. It would it would disseminate faster than the truth. Well, if somebody uh, said we're going home in <clears throat> six months, then the next rumor would be we're going home in eighteen months. 
Yeah, could be. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think there were there were a lot of different opinions on what what exactly we were going to do. Um, I feel a little bit sorry for the folks that um, had to endure this uh, last go round with Iraq and, and Afghanistan because it, you know it wound up being uh, like Vietnam where troops were rotating in and out. Uh, better better executed, I think, in uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan than Vietnam because in Vietnam they did individual replacements in and out, whereas uh, in the subsequent, more recent uh, conflicts, we've, we've rotated uh, units uh, and they did a, they did a handover. Uh, they had a transition period, and uh, that was it's a very good transition period. I was uh, in on some of the back briefs of those for uh, as far as uh, battle handover and lessons learned, and the really successful uh, commanders would you know pay close attention to the lessons learned and. Uh, and then they wouldn't have to learn all those lessons for themselves. They would just consider it learned. Um, yeah, and of course the Army's got a lot of experience in doing very dangerous things. Not just the Army, but you know all of our forces. And so they, my experience is that they're very, very good at uh, uh, at lessons learned and uh, disseminating. Uh, important facts uh, that are helpful for completing the mission. And I think a lot of this uh, came about in Vietnam, particularly after the first year or so in Vietnam where, uh, you know, jump off the plane and gun ho and all this, but they realized that the guy that had been in country could tell them a lot about popping Johnny's and everything else. And, uh, you know how how to avoid as much as you can and what to look for and they they took someone that had been there for six months they they took their word biblically yeah uh you know and uh you know when I went through survival training um you know one of the one of the things they taught us was you know to observe the indigenous peoples and sort of uh, mimic the things that they do because they do them for a reason uh, because of, you know that that's how they've survived in that environment for centuries so uh, you know uh, it's, a, it's a good way to survive <laughs> and they know they where they're hidden if they wear a white towel on their head wear a white towel on your head <laughs> Well, it's uh, every every war is different, and certainly there was a a big difference between Vietnam and the Middle East. Uh, and in both cases, we've always learned something, and hopefully that will carry forward. Hope you know, prefer not to have any more engagements, but. As uh, sure as the sun comes up, we will at some point. And uh, 
that information that we've learned, I hope, can be passed on to our new troops. Yeah, we uh, we definitely have put together uh, quite a you know a, an encyclopedia of uh, information on all different parts of the world uh, and how to fight and survive there. Survival, escape, and evasion. Yep. Survival, escape, resistance, and evasion. They left out the resistance on May. They just said evasion. But they just figured, who would want me anyway? Well, uh, you know, well before Desert Storm, I... uh, I had the privilege of attending the uh, Special Forces Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape Instructor Course at Camp McCall, North Carolina. And the uh, the commandant of the course was a fellow by the name of uh, James Nicholas Rowe. Um, and uh, Nick Rowe had been a uh, Special Forces Lieutenant in uh, the in the Delta in South Vietnam in 1962 and was uh, was uh, wounded out of ammunition and uh, captured by the Viet Cong and uh, he spent five years and two months in a clandestine Viet Cong prison camp in the Delta and uh, so he taught all our classes uh, in resistance to interrogation and resistance to indoctrination. And um, he was a very, very great man. Uh, unfortunately, a couple years after that, he was uh, he was uh, teaching counterinsurgency in the Philippines to their armed forces. And uh, he was assassinated by uh, Philippine uh, communist uh, insurgents. But he wrote a great book uh, about his uh, experience uh, in captivity there, and it's called uh, Five Years to Freedom, and it's a a really fantastic book. Wow. You know, when you mentioned his name, I knew his name, but I couldn't place the, the what, when, or where, you know? But uh, yeah. yeah, that's. I would encourage people to, to look up and, and read about Nick Rowe, R O W E, Nick James and Rowe, and uh, he was a quite a fantastic guy. Um, Must have been. And of course, the special forces guys know all about him. <clears throat> okay, so. Uh, you reach your deployment station or well, fort or yeah, whatever we were, it happens uh, to be. We were, uh, once uh, everything was shipped and gone, uh, they didn't lose much time before, of course, our airplanes left uh, to ferry across uh, the North Atlantic into Europe and down over to the Middle East. And uh, our, uh, uh, I was left in command of the company. And so we put our troops on a uh, 
747 uh, from Pan Am World Airways. Uh, it was called the Clipper New Horizons. <laughs> and uh, it landed at Robert Gray Army Airfield. And I uh, was wearing my new chocolate chip uh, uniform, which I was still getting used to. And uh, I kissed my wife goodbye and formed up our troops. And we uh, got on this 747. It was interesting because uh, they made sure that all of our ammunition was, you know, was taken away from us. But uh, they wanted to transport our weapons by having each soldier, you know, carry his own weapon. So uh, every I had a 747 loaded with uh, our troops and... Uh, Every one of them had either a, uh, an M16 or a uh, or a pistol. Uh, and so <laughs> it was interesting to stand there in the, in the front of the, of the 747 and look back over the uh, over the all the people and see all these uh, M16 gun barrels sticking up over the seats, you know, <laughs> and soldiers in their in their. Uh, sitting in there in the uniforms. Now, were these and, uh, BDUs? Say again, please. These were BDUs that you were dressed in? No, these were the chocolate chips. These were uh, the that uh, first desert uh, camouflage pattern. It had, uh, it just kind of looked like a chocolate chip cookie. Right, uh, right. And so we called them the chocolate chips. But, uh, and they had a didn't have our regular patrol caps. We had uh, these boonie hats uh, with a string, which I didn't like having a string under my chin. Didn't really like having it anywhere. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that was that was our uh, uniform that we had. I remember we flew from from Robert Gray Army Airfield to Bangor, Maine, and refueled, and then we flew from. From Bangor to uh, Rome, Italy, to Leonardo da Vinci Airport, and uh, then from there we flew into uh, Dahran, Saudi Arabia, and uh, of course that was my first time uh, riding the flight deck of a 747 uh, uh, at landing. The, the, the captain had invited couple of us to come up and observe the landing from the cockpit and I'm um, sitting in the in the jump seat there with with my 38 pistol under my arm <laughs> this is this is very unusual I got a 38 and the captain's inviting me to come up here uh, but you know we landed without incident and uh, everything was nice until they opened that door and the heat it was probably middle of the night and it was uh, September, uh, but when that heat hit me, the only thing I could think of was uh, how much does it cost to uh, to heat this place? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe there was any place on the earth that was that hot in an ambient ambient situation. However, um, that was the middle of the night, so the next day I got to see some real heat. You might say you were just getting warmed up. Exactly. And uh, then, of course, 
they trucked us to the location where they wanted us to set up. We had the shell of a concrete building, and uh, we uh, basically flopped down on the floor there, and, uh, and everybody, you know, next to each other on the floor in this building. And then the next day, we began building our tent city, sandbag walls around them, and uh, was uh, was a lot of effort. <clears throat> Well, it was quite beautiful when we were done. For those Not that really. uh, are listening, I, I've got to put a plug in for uh, BaggerBot. That uh, it's a unit that will do sixteen hundred sandbags per hour. Would you have taken one of those at the time? Yeah, that would have been great. Uh, I, what we had, we had developed some sort of a thing we had built with uh, some two-by-fours and some plywood. It was basically just kind of a sluice sort of thing. And uh, we have folks, um, you know, basically shoveling sand into it and, and then, uh, you know, letting it run out into the bags uh, where it formed sort of an assembly line. But, uh, <clears throat> and then we struck a jackpot when we found a heavy construction unit to come over. They would just use a bucket loader and dump sand into our uh, sluice way there. Uh, and it would, you know, we'd use that to fill up our sandbags. But it's still a lot of labor to tie them up and, and transport them and put them in place. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and of course, and when the Scud missile started falling, we were glad we had sandbag walls around our tents. You know, the tent <laughs> becomes becomes the home away from home. A lot of things are done under that uh, tent roof, uh, from poker to uh, telling of tales. A lot of things. <laughs> yeah, we... Uh... We had some parlor games that folks had sent us that we liked to play uh, in our off hours once we got to a relatively stable living situation. Um, but there was a lot of work to do and not much uh, time for recreation. But uh, we we uh, we survived it. I know they they brought in. Uh, um, pallets of uh, non-alcoholic beer. It was an Anheuser-Busch product called Odul's, mm-hmm. which we refer mm-hmm. to as Abdul's. Yeah. And, and no pulled pork. We're going to take a break right quick, and we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg right after this. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. 
Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Sir, if you don't mind, I I wanted to get just a bit political uh, in that we've got some very important elections coming up. And, uh, you know, it's, it's getting, in some cases dirtier and dirtier and generally speaking the person that's uh has no merit and is not doing well in the polls is the one that seems to be slinging them the most uh garbage around and uh frankly i'm i'm getting tired of it but uh we won't go into totally calling names but we've got a situation in the sixth district where one of the candidates is just outright lying, and uh, I know very well one of the candidates, uh, Dr. Rich McCormick, and uh, I know Rich very well, and he is as honorable. He was a veteran. He was a Marine chopper pilot and uh, served a couple of tours in Iraq, and uh, to call him an abortionist is beyond the pale. Uh, but anyway, there are other things going on, and uh, I know that uh, we've got an interesting uh, situation for Senate, and I can say personally our present senator, um, he and his staff, because I've tried to work with them, are absolute do-nothings, and uh, we need to make a a change in the Georgia Georgia Senate, and uh, I'd like to see, and I support Herschel Walker for that position. And uh, your thoughts on the matter, uh, Philip? Well, David, uh, I know uh, Herschel Walker. I know his commitment to veterans. He's worked quite a bit to uh, help uh, our troops. He's visited troops around the world. Uh, in an effort to showcase the idea that uh, reaching out for uh, mental health from uh, for PTSD and and other associated uh, mental uh, conditions that are incident to uh, service, especially in combat, uh, that troops should not feel shame or embarrassment reaching out to, for uh, for help for this. So many do, and he's he spent you know. Uh, just hundreds of hours and, and visited thousands of troops and uh, you know for anyone to suggest that uh, he did all this uh, for some sort of um, you know uh, scam uh, this is it's unconscionable and uh, you know our current senator uh, who's uh, who's uh, up for re-election here is a fellow who has done nothing but assist uh, our current president in his mismanagement of uh, our military and, uh, you know, folks that, that for whom 
uh, D-Day is an afterthought, and uh, the service of our veterans is, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, what gets me is every time Joe Biden uh, has to address veterans, he, he, he tries to, you know, bring up his son. You know, when, when he addressed, when he visited with those uh, the families of those 12 troops that were killed when we were leaving Afghanistan all he could talk about was was his son it was nothing but a jag lawyer uh, you know uh, and you know th- these folks were right at the pointy edge of the spear and uh, you know it just it's it's just everything to these folks is some sort of uh, canard uh, to get reelected or to trick the electorate, and it's just really troubling uh, to me. I don't know if you know the side note to Mr. Uh, Biden, Hunter Biden, but he should be in jail right now. He lied when he went to buy a weapon. He lied on the farm and, uh, you know, said that he had never used drugs and a number of other things that were just blatant lies on the form that you fill out when you're going through the investigation of uh, your character and so forth, when you're applying to buy a weapon. And uh, he lied. And you lie on that form, and you're supposed to have a one-way ticket. Yeah, I understand. Uh, Another thing people don't realize about Hunter Biden uh not widely known is that uh, he was actually uh, uh, a JAG officer in the Naval Reserve and uh, he was thrown out of the Naval Reserve. He required two waivers uh, to come into the Naval Reserve. The first one for his age because he was above the the age for commissioning Uh, and the second one was uh, for uh, a prior drug conviction and uh, and then so when they got him, you know, in, I guess he was supposed to be, you know, the underdog to replace uh, Bo Biden, who had died of a, a brain tumor, and uh, you know, in the in the Biden dynasty or something, he was going to get his military credentials. I think it was he lasted less than a year in the Naval Reserve before he was uh, identified as. Uh, Having used cocaine on a uh, on a uh, urinalysis, and uh, they had to put him out, and there was no wiggle room. There's no waiver for that. He required two waivers to get in, and of course, he blew it uh, on his first opportunity. So uh, shameful, shameful. You know, people without without a sense of shame are people without a sense of honor. Absolutely, and, uh, very well said. I just well want to said. tell you that I thoroughly endorse um, the uh, uh, Herschel Walker for uh, Senate. I know that he has great plans to do fantastic things for veterans, and uh, and he listens, and he's got you know people working for him that will get things done for veterans, and I can't say enough uh, for Herschel. He's just a fantastic human being and humanitarian. Well, we hope before the elections to uh, have him in studio at some point and uh, would love to do that and explain to people, um, you know, why he should be our next senator from Georgia. And um, 
You know, it's as we've seen with uh, our current administration, you can lie about almost anything, but ultimately it will catch up with you. And your actions speak louder than all of the lies that you tell, and it will catch up with you. And we do, we've got to have honorable people representing us. And uh, we're proud to support Herschel as well. So, with that being said, uh, we've talked about deployment. And uh, I think I mentioned this one other time to you. And uh, you've been deployed. You're in Saudi Arabia. You're in the Middle East. And what does the term getting short mean? Uh, short, of course. Means, uh, it comes from the term short timer. It's someone whose time is uh, ex- close to expiring in, uh, in theater. And, uh, you know, w- of course, we use short, uh, short timer uh, in the various uh, uh, unit, uh, assignments I had prior to that. But uh, in, in terms of Desert Storm and Saudi Arabia, we were. We consider ourselves, you know, as a unit, we were uh, we were either short. If we were short, we were short as a unit because uh, the whole unit was supposed to go home. And you know, President uh, Bush forty one, he has uh, promised that nobody goes home until the mission's done, and then nobody stays any longer than they had to. And uh, so we did the mission, and we were going to hold him to the promise of letting us go home. Now, as your as the unit, and I was not used to that. I was used to the individual situation, but as a unit, were there any rumors floating around after you started getting short about how short we were when, <laughs> when we were going home every day? Every day, <laughs> I. I uh, well, I'll say every day from the moment the uh, that uh, Norm Schwarzkopf uh, marched those Iraqi generals into the tent there, surrounded by Abrams and Bradleys and Apaches, uh, uh, to, to sign the surrender. Uh, every day from that point, the uh, the rumors were flying about when we were going home. I had my bag packed, and I was. <laughs> You know, basically living out of my my kit bag uh, for probably two weeks uh, in anticipation that I did not want to miss the bus if they said uh, your, your planes, you know, uh, warming up on the ramp. I wanted to be out of there <laughs> and get to some air conditioning, huh? That would be nice. Um, <laughs> and I wonder if you're. Uh, if your son can testify to what our little adage we had when we were there in Saudi Arabia, there was, there was a pretty girl behind every tree. I don't know if uh, that's still the case. Oh, I've asked him about that, and he said uh, that he was sure there was. He just couldn't find the trees. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a... Uh, well, and of course, the girls we did see there that were the indigenous Saudis were all wrapped in black tents and 
Uh, <laughs> we couldn't tell if they were pretty or not. I won't go there. I'll just leave that one right where it belongs. But uh, the, the Saudi point of view is if my wife or my daughter or my sister is pretty, it's none of your business. <laughs> I've heard that. So, and it probably isn't, actually. They probably, uh, nope. they probably know what they're talking about. And uh, it's, uh, you know, every place that we've gone in my I can just barely, barely remember Korea, but, uh, you know, it's always been different, and there's always, uh, I'm, I'm sure that you all got a lecture on going into the Middle East, and um, probably more than one, actually, and uh, what you do with locals and how you treat locals and how locals should treat you and this and that and so forth and so on. There's always uh, there's always a plan, and the uh, the right person at the right time will give those orders. And whether he knows what he's talking about or not, that's still up in the air. But he'll talk to you about it one way or the other. Uh, Philip, it's time for us to uh, bail out of here. I'm almost on time for a change, and uh, <laughs> want to thank you for being with us again as always and uh, look forward to next week and uh, we'll take on something new and challenging and uh, it'll be good as always no doubt thank you david enjoyed it thank you sir the views opinions and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on america's web radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.